Hello, guys. Welcome back. Today, I'm here with Jeremiah Scott. He has his own podcast called the Jeremiah Scott Podcast, where he talks about some of the big issues we face today as a society. He blends ancient spiritual wisdom, philosophy, and little-known knowledge from various cultures to offer fresh perspectives on modern problems. He has traveled worldwide, studying with South American shamanic people, Nepalese monks, and European spiritual leaders. Blending this with his own visions has allowed him to shape a unique and refreshing approach towards understanding the non-physical aspects of our universe. Such a cool guy and such a cool podcast, so definitely check it out, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, what a wonderful introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Your own words. <laughs> yeah. yes. I love it. It's like, he'll like yeah. that one. <laughs> straight, straight from the website. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's perfect. So... Yeah, so let's talk about your background and how you got into studying spirituality and medicine with shamanic tribes. Okay, uh, well, when, where would we start? So I think for me, um, I've always had a, like a keen curiosity in what we would class as spirituality. Uh, but I think that when you're young, it's it, there's like this pull to fit in, isn't there? Uh, and so those things stuff that I, I was aware of when I was a little boy, when I started going to school, you fast learn that there's certain things that if you want to fit in and have friends, you just don't talk about. Uh, and so I kind of pushed it away when I was young. Um, then during my 20s, I, I sort of ended up going on a little bit of a, a, a journey. Um, and it wasn't really intentional. That's what I find fascinating about when we talk to other spiritually aware or or awakening, awakened, whatever you want to call it. There's different stages of, of the process. Uh, but I find that a lot of it happens by accident. Uh, and so for me, I, I hadn't really engaged with any, uh, any sort of illicit substances uh, growing up. Um, I'd, I'd worked with a bit of cannabis as a teenager, obviously, you know, we all sort of attempted to go down that route at some point. Um, and then I, I'd worked with alcohol. I say worked with alcohol, I just drink too much. But um, <laughs> I hadn't really done anything else. And so I was always quite a, uh, perhaps maybe at that time in my life, maybe I was trying to have too much control. I don't know if maybe I was a control freak. That's something else someone might say about me. But personally, uh, I, had, I was sort of scared of the idea at that time of, of taking a substance that might, send me like away from my point of conscious awareness uh, I didn't want to let go I didn't want to surrender that's what I was going through looking back on reflection now um, and I remember reading I think it was around 2011 and I'd I read in the newspaper it was quite a, a big one in the UK that some uh, there was an 18 year old uh, student had gone to South America and he had gone to a, a, a ceremony with a shaman who'd drunk ayahuasca and he'd unfortunately had a bad reaction and passed away and I was like I couldn't even pronounce oh. the word I didn't even know what the word was um and so I, I've always been quite keen and uh, trying to understand things that uh, maybe I don't on on first glance so I was like what is this word what's happened what's this kid done um and then yeah when I when I sort of read about it I had this overwhelming sense that I was going to do that now, at me at that time in my life, I, I had this thought in my head, I'm going to have that experience as well. And it was terrifying. I was like, no, I'm not. I've, I've never 
done anything like that. That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and then a few years later, so I saw some basic documentaries on, on plant medicine and I've become quite curious, but I was still very, very scared at the idea of working with this, uh, this substance, this molecule. Uh, and then by chance, I ended up uh, being given some tickets to go to South America from like, um, I, I was working for myself. I had a business at that time. And one of my big clients had given me these tickets. Uh, I think that she had won the tickets, but she didn't want to go to South America herself. It wasn't of interest. So I went. And then I had a, a friend who was traveling out there. And then we found ourselves like going to Iquitos in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> and then I met a guy who uh, was working um, in a hostel and he was an English chap. And then I, I had a chat with him and then after I sort of got to know him, we talked about shamanism and he was like, oh, I work with a shaman. You should come and meet him. And that's how it happened. So I didn't, I didn't, honestly, it was like the biggest set of unusual circumstances aligned over this multi-year period to get me in the jungle and put me in this place. And then I was there for long enough that I could uh, begin to cleanse myself and get ready for that experience. Uh, and then, yeah, I worked with Ayahuasca. And I just, after that, I was like, ah, oh, um, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I started learning. Uh, that was when I kind of went on the journey of discovering uh, plant medicine and shamanism. Um, but I'd had, like I say, a keen interest in other forms of spirituality. But really, I would say for me, that it was that, that point in around 2015 that I was like this journey just accelerated and uh, yeah I've just lived for it now really. Yes it's so amazing how things just line up when you're supposed to go on that path and I've never tried ayahuasca but I feel like you know when our brains first go into this different level of consciousness for the first time if you're meant to like go into that you instantly get glued to trying to discover you know what's going on mm -hmm. here and what what was your experience like with ayahuasca i'm curious <laughs> terrifying about that. to start with terrifying <laughs> um, oh god uh, what happened is that i'd i'd filled my mind up with with all of these misconceptions so the media uh, at that time in the West were trying to put this spin on it. So they would only talk about people that had uh, passed away from working with the plant or people that had uh, worked with maybe people who were pretending to be shamans but weren't and they'd been drugged and robbed. And so I had all this sort of fear of it, I suppose. Um, and then people would talk about the classic, like you're going to uh, descend into, uh, you're going to lose your mind, you're going to have a heart attack, you're going to have all these terrible things. And say so you're going to, you're going to vomit, and you're going to have other like, loss of bodily functions. Uh, and so I was like, this terrible thing's going to happen. And so I'd also watched people recount like positive experiences, and there was what I thought a pattern to what happened. Uh, and so the the first night that I worked with it uh, we was in a hut so I didn't go to a retreat because there's a lot in the Kitos around that area there's a lot of retreats that are run by westerners um but I went to like a, a real classic like straw hut in the middle of the jungle um with a, a beautiful shaman uh he couldn't speak a word of English and uh, he had he'd been at it for around I think it was a bit more than 64 years at that time he had first drunk ayahuasca wow. um was he 64 he was yeah he was heading on towards 70 when I first met him 
and I think he'd been working with the plant since he was 14 years old. Uh, he's incredible. He's just one of the most beautiful people that you could ever hope to meet. Um, and I just I felt safe in his presence, like even though there was that language barrier. So my Spanish was non-existent at that point. It's still not perfect, but I can say a few bits and pieces now. Um, but at that time, it was like the body language and the energy, the presence of this man transcended like human language. You know, he could give you a smile and a hug and you just knew that it was okay. You're like, you're, you're all right. And so for me, that, that sort of settled me when I met the shaman. Um, Cause you have all these fears. Like I, I, I went into Iquitos and then we would go out into the jungle to, to work with the plants. Um, and then you'd go through all these, quite run down areas and and then you had to get on a, a little boat and go down the river and then at some point I was like I'm just giving up all my power all my control like anything could happen and so I was a little bit nervous uh but yeah when I when I like took the medicine the plant medicine whatever you want to refer to it as um I was the first person at that ceremony to drink now I thought everybody was going to throw up I thought that this was the normal experience and there was, I think there were six of us in total. So I drank first and then everybody went round and, and had their their um, little uh, drink. And then around 20 minutes later, you start, because all the lights are out and you can't see anything, but you can start hearing people begin to move and stir and people are starting to vomit. So we're all given a little bucket next to our, uh, we just lay on the floor, given a little, uh, like a little mat. And you hear people being sick and I was like, okay, so it's going to happen to me soon that I'm going to be sick soon. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm overthinking it, overthinking it. And you hear this, like it, this wave begins to go around the room and everybody starts to be sick and it's not happening for me. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so straight away, I knew that this wasn't going to be anything that I'd expected because it was already right from the start. It was just totally different. Um, so then I thought in my wisdom at that time, I thought, oh, maybe I should, try to make myself be sick so I started trying to battle with the plant and I didn't realize that it wanted to it wanted to be in there it wanted to do its work and, and so I tried to wrestle with it um, and then uh, I started to profusely sweat to the point where I, it was like I'd jumped in a swimming pool so I had these like shorts and t-shirt on and I was just completely soaked I've never sweat like that in my entire life so I was like what's going on I was beginning to sort of panic um, and I called the English guy over and he was like what's up I, I feel like I'm twitching in my palms and my feet. I can't stop sweating. I'm, I feel I'm trying not to panic, but this doesn't feel good. And he put his hand on my neck and he's like, yeah, you are a bit hot. Um, and then he's like, uh, he's saying, if you want to be sick, just if drink some water and it will make you vomit. And I was like, no, I'm going to try and see it through. So then I had, I just laid down and I had this, uh, like, I just was aware that there was this presence there. Uh, and it, I was, I just had this rush. It was like this white light went up my uh, up my stomach into my chest and sort of burst down my arms. And then I was aware of this of a presence, and they they thanked me for coming and said, "Thank you, thank you for finding your way here. Thank you for doing this." I said, "But we we're, we're going to have to make it a bit challenging. We've got to heal you." Uh, and so then yeah. um, I had a bit of a tough battle with it again, and you know the sweating got worse and worse. But then what happened was I had this epiphany and I was like, 
I'm trying to control this experience and I started thinking that I'm going to end up having some sort of seizure and everything I read is true and I'm going to end up in hospital and then I was like I'm hours away from the hospital I'm in the middle of the jungle like what's going to go on so I just realized that I was there of my own accord like if I didn't want this experience to happen I should never have got on the plane in London and so I gave myself Mm -hmm. up at that moment I just let go I was like what's going to be is going to be if this is where I am supposed to finish my time here this is what this is it this is this is how it's meant to be I chose this Mm -hmm. and as soon as that happened I just stopped sweating I stopped having the sensations that I was going to have a seizure um and then I just had the most incredible like few hours after that it was just honestly life altering you know the things that I was shown the things that I saw uh the the connection that I had with those beings the, the information that was shared that completely changed the course of my life after that but it wasn't until I gave into the experience stopped trying to make it what I thought that things got better Wow, that's <laughs> that's a whole journey right there. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I suppose I was I, I was trying to control the course of my life. I didn't realize until that point. Um, and this is something that I've gone on to develop this idea uh, ever since then. And I've been shown different snippets of it through different ceremonies over the years. Yeah, I feel like when you try to control your psychedelic experience, it just goes downhill. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like you can't really battle it you just have to let it take you because i think each time there's a reason you're going to go through that experience yeah and so it's all for yeah you know and you said you know if you're if you're working with a shaman and they'll invite you to set an intention and then obviously a lot of the intention um is going to to be reflected isn't it in what you see so i've really made it was just that one ceremony but the thing is for me Um, I was sick eventually after the ceremony happened. So everyone was beginning to calm down. And then that, then I thought something else was happening. And then I, I, I purged. Um, But that's the only time in all of the years that I've ever uh, had a, like, you know, vomiting from working with psychedelics. So ayahuasca or any Mm. other psychedelics. So um, I think that, again, that's another thing. I do seem to have this way of working with psychedelics that I'm not entirely sure is common um you know I know people that, are, that go out and, and have the experiences with ayahuasca and they're sick each time um but I think that the plants invite invited me to live my life differently and because I took the instruction that they were asking uh then that is it's like I'm in this state of readiness. So I'm able to work with the psychedelics and not have that physical reaction uh, because my body doesn't need to clean as deeply as it did on that first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I know that the ayahuasca visuals can probably be pretty intense, right? <laughs> I, my girlfriend was doing a study on ayahuasca through like VR mm. Do you know what VR yeah, of is? Course, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so crazy. Like, and the visuals, it was a whole like game mm. and you sat down with this shaman mm. and it started taking, you know, you like drank the tea <laughs> and started taking you on the whole journey. Yeah. And the visuals I saw were crazy. And I was thinking if I was stuck in this, I don't know how I would feel. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it can be overwhelming. Um, I think that you, yeah, you just, if you master that art of surrender, then you know, for me, I, I, I sometimes it does get a little bit intense, but I'm like, look, this isn't the permanent state of affairs. I'm not going to be here forever. Like, the, 
the process is that I will come back to my baseline of consciousness and so you just allow it and and sometimes it yeah it is difficult um but I wouldn't say that there's such thing as a as a bad trip or a bad ceremony or a bad experience uh, I think that in some of my darkest and most challenging moments that, that's sort of paved the way for some of my deepest realizations mm-hmm Yes. Oh, it's wild. Like, so how would you think, you know, the, how do you think the, the difference between like the ayahuasca hallucinations versus the psilocybin ones? Like, well, this is a, um, okay. So for me, uh, I, it's, it's tough to speak about this and not, I wouldn't want to be construed as trying to project some form of ego onto the experiment, so uh, onto the conversation. Um, I feel that, uh, yeah, experiment is is the word. So I, I feel that that if I look that I'm experimenting with these substances, these compounds, these molecules, and it, because it is, it's, it's, it's this process, experimental process, because each time is a little bit different. Um, but what I will say is that psilocybin. Uh, is perfectly capable of delivering a similar IRS or experience if you're living in accordance with what the plants are asking of you. Now, I know that this is uh, an alien concept for a lot of people, so we have uh, a very scientifically orientated uh, society right now, uh, and you, people might want to laugh at the concept of plants uh, being conscious. And um, But those of us who have worked with the plants or the psilocybin mushrooms will understand that you it's you just know there is there is a, a consciousness outside of our own and quite often Definitely. we're trying to convince or argue or or talk to people who who haven't got the reference point because they haven't had those experiences now what i would say is on my journey um i i didn't ever want to be accused of trying to go out to these places and absorb their cultures and start calling myself a shaman, um, behaving in this certain way, trying to have this uh, ego enrichment from, from these experiences. So I've, I've, I've kind of battled with some of what I see. I do think that there's a lot of abuse of these substances, a lot of people behaving in the way that they don't really know what they're doing. Now, I don't think that this is in necessarily intentional, um, and that's why I feel very grateful for how it's unfolded for me because I was able to work with a traditional shaman that had that uh, that that vast experience. And so I feel that I when some of the things I see on the documentaries or I, I hear from other people, you're just like, mm, that's so far away from what I understand it to be. Um, but with psilocybin, what I found, this is the, <laughs> the funny thing. So for me, I never worked with any psychedelics before Ayurasca. Ayurasca is one of the world's strongest psychedelics, and that was... <laughs> That was what I found myself engaging with to start with. Um, so, yeah, that was, I look back now and I think, what was you doing? But it, it, was, all, it was all meant to be. But what I found is that my journey with psilocybin is uh, is shaped by my experience with shamanism and ayahuasca. And so what I found is that um, a, a true and responsible shaman knows the origin of all of the plants that they're going to work with they're able to prepare that tea that brew that mix from scratch they know where to go and get 
everything that they need. The plants all grow in different conditions within the jungle uh, and different environments, and they come together to create this this beautiful, powerful medicine. Um, and I think that what we see today with psilocybin or magic mushrooms is a lot of people, not they're not doing it intentionally, but what I've been told and shown by the, the, the mushroom spirits, if you want to call them that, is that people are growing psilocybin mushrooms in a scientific way and expecting to have a spiritual experience and so the mushrooms will respond to their environment just like any organic matter will so you understand that if you have the the right conditions we understand this physically so humidity temperature soil uh, moisture all of these things can influence the way a uh, uh, well the mushrooms grow the plants grow whatever but mushrooms are susceptible to mutations as well so if they don't have the right uh, levels of airflow or the mycelium is a certain condition then this can trigger mutations um, and what we see is that particularly over in the US, uh, where it's becoming more accepted and, and, and legal within certain areas, uh, that there are these incredible people. They're amazing. And I'm, uh, I, I've been involved with some of them. And they're able to isolate the mutations of the mushrooms and they're able to stabilize the genetics and create entirely new mushrooms. And this is incredible. And it's, it's, wow. it's so exciting and it's fascinating to watch. But the issue that I see with it is that these then become something else because they're grown so scientifically. Um, you know, it's, it's like we're, we're losing a bit of connection with that spiritual aspect of what the molecule can offer. So for me, I work with um, psilocybin mushrooms that I know the origin of them. I know the conditions that they grew in and I understand what represents a, a, a favourable condition for a spiritual experience. So then when I work with the right types of mushrooms, then I can have a, an experience that's very, very similar to ayahuasca. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. What would be like the ideal conditions for like the more spiritually grown mushrooms? So I was shown this in, in, uh, in a psilocybin ceremony um, and I was shown that how the uh, original shamans, the European shamans, uh, mushroom shamans operated was that they would have these settlements, so basic villages, and then they would have people that maybe didn't live in those roughly urbanized environments. They would have people who were naturally living on the edges of society. They were living on the edges of the woodlands and they were uh, living quite a, what we'd call a clean lifestyle. Uh, so they weren't introducing physical contaminations into their body and they were in peace. They were in a uh, environmental state that was conducive to them, able to naturally slip into meditative states. And this is how they were guided to know that that was the mushroom that they could eat so they were shown the original shamans were shown through meditative visionary states where to find the mushroom they would consume the mushroom and then this would allow the grounds for a much more intense connection and then the the spirits would begin to show the shaman how to harvest the mushroom and grow it in a spiritual environment 
which then made the ability for true spiritual mushrooms and mushroom shamans to come into into the world. So what I was showing is that we we have a uh, a lack of spiritually grown mushrooms in uh, existence right now, uh, which is fascinating. But I was also shown that the original shamans wouldn't hand the mushrooms out to everyone. They would engage with the community and they would listen to what people's problems were and they would journey for that person. So this is why uh, the mushrooms have shown that the uh, non-spiritual mushrooms are able to flourish now because those people who are working with them aren't on that shamanic path. So it is fascinating. Um, Definitely. Yeah, but they show that yeah. the a spiritual mushroom will grow within a certain vicinity of a shaman as well. Um, there's a few little complexities to it. It's something that I would say that is still under development. I'm still being shown what the mushrooms would like to bring into this space. Yeah, this is like a tiny bit more evidence that they have a consciousness. Uh, you know, yeah. like I definitely, I definitely believe these plants have a consciousness. Yeah, 100%. And there's so much, you know, I feel probably evidence from the past that a lot of people just haven't dug into. And we've just like put up these walls. Yeah, you know? well, I was showing this as part of the journey as well. So particularly uh, in Europe, um, I was shown. Uh, so we have the Siberian shamans and we have the uh, ayahuasca shamans in the Amazon. Um, and I was shown that the reason that there's an absence of European psychedelic or mushroom shamans right now is because of the geography of Europe. And so we, what happened was that, you know, over the last few thousand years, there's been multiple um civilizations that have risen and fallen and there has been lots of conflict lots of wars uh, we've had civil wars we've had uh, continental wars but what happens is that as people seize control and power of a certain region uh, they are drawn to unfortunately eradicating some of the ideas that they were there to replace so you have to understand that war is this byproduct of a frustration that the system is broken war uh, it, it has its atrocities it has all of this awfulness associated with it but ultimately war is this opportunity for rebirth for new ideas to come into fruition and unfortunately a byproduct of new ideas being born is that history is really uh, written by the victorious which means they were people are prone to eradicating what comes before them so in the situation in europe really when uh unrest grew there was nowhere for the shamans to hide as opposed to places like uh, siberia and the amazon so when you see the amazon when you see the virgin rainforest you you know there could be someone three meters in front of you and you wouldn't be able to detect that they're there so the shaman uh, people who have who lived there for thousands of years, they're able to pass their knowledge down unbroken because every time conflict arises in the region, they have such an intimate knowledge of, of the forest that they're able to disappear and then return when the unrest has settled, so when the conditions are favourable. So they're able to avoid persecution, they're able to uh, avoid the their knowledge being eradicated. And so Siberia has a similar... Uh, situation going on but interestingly Europe there's nowhere really for people to hide uh, and so this is why mm -hmm. we lost the mushroom shamans in in continental Europe 
Yeah, and I heard they were trying to, you know, convert people to what uh, was it Christianity or well, there and is, they took away their yeah mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting concepts that I don't want to alarm or upset or or, or stress out any Christians, but there is some theories that uh, Christianity was created by the Romans, and there was a. a, a bunch of mushroom shamans in the region that were having this psychedelic connection and the knowledge that they were bringing back was causing disruption uh, within the Roman society and so what they did was they collected all of the ideas and they put them into the book and said that this is now outlawed (laughs) unbelievable like this yeah. is how we lost a lot of things. Yeah, of course. I feel yeah, like. I mean, there's multiple uh, instances of, you know, libraries, the the uh, ancient libraries being burned down when civilizations have fallen, uh, and so there is snippets of, of things here and there um, that we're able to connect with now and, and build a bit of a picture. But obviously, a lot of these ideas are just that their theories their ideas there is some evidence to uh, support it but you could argue that it's anecdotal and um, i think that now the internet is growing the way it is it's fascinating because you see people like uh, there was an episode of the joe rogan podcast where they talked about the uh, the similarities between um siberian mushroom shamans and the story of christmas which i love that Oh, I have not seen that, but I want to watch it oh, now. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll send you the, the video over. It's amazing. They talk about how uh, the mushrooms would grow under uh, the pine tree because um, those uh, particular mushrooms, are they will only grow under under certain settings. And they would say how the, the Siberian mushroom shamans dressed like Santa and the reindeers <sighs> were uh, obsessed with, with eating the mushrooms. So they would follow the shamans around. Uh, it's amazing. There's all these parallels and similarities between that version of, of mushroom shamanism and the story of Christmas, uh, which we see the story of Christmas is is sort of integrated into uh, religious holidays as well, isn't it? And they were probably all tripping together. That's why they were flying through. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you said it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love that. So... So I know you spent, you know, time with the shamanic tribes doing ayahuasca. Were you also um, doing psilocybin ceremonies with them too? Yeah, so I, I worked with a number of people over in Iquitos. So I was quite fortunate to, uh, to yeah, to meet the people that I did. It's a very special time in my life. Um, unfortunately, the disruption uh, in the last few years has, has actually caused uh, a lot of people to up and leave. So some of the other people that I worked with in the Kitos um, have moved to Lima. Uh, so one of the mm. one of the healers that uh, I, I learned a lot from as well, he's now moved over to Iquitos, uh, sorry, from Iquitos to Lima. Uh, the shaman, unfortunately, has just uh, about three weeks, four weeks ago, I can't remember the date, but I saw um, some information that's saying he's thinking of selling his land in the jungle so he doesn't want to hold retreats anymore. So I was like, this is it, it's really... It's crazy because I had these amazing experiences um, and I'd love to be able to sort of direct people to go and meet these wonderful souls that I cross paths with. But it was like 
this time in my life as as is changing um so Mm -hmm. yeah but I think that I've I've taken enough knowledge and experience from it that I can continue my learning from uh, uh, some form of independence at the moment how long did you spend time with them? Uh, so this was from 2015 up until the uh, onset of the pandemic. The last time I was able to go and visit everybody was, uh, I think it was around October 2019, so just before it all started. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I still am able to engage with people on, online and you know, I can do some distance learning. I, I'm still building my knowledge, but as for that practical hands-on uh, side of things yeah that's that's sort of disrupted at the moment uh, which is unfortunate but yeah it's just the way life goes isn't it mm-hmm, definitely so which psychedelic has helped you transform the most and why okay so <laughs> for me what I was shown uh, in in the last few years was that the way that it worked for me the spirits told me it was ayahuasca was like my introduction Uh, and so what they the analogy that they presented to me during that particular ceremony was they said you understand a child has access to their mother and father's uh, phone ipad computer they know those things exist but they don't belong to them so and and the mother and the father might allow the child some screen time if they've been good or if they've done this they said this is what we did for you with ayahuasca we allowed you to have small uh, experiences with it and there was a large period of time in between. So you would go home, you might go there for six weeks to three months and then you would come home for the rest of the year and you would integrate what you learn and you would take on that experience and it would shape your life. So now your journey with psilocybin is like a, a child that's been given their first mobile phone so we're, we're telling you the, the secrets behind psilocybin and it's more accessible to you than perhaps Ayahuasca has been. But this is, they're saying that they're trusting me to have my, my spiritual growth. So they're showing me that on my spiritual journey, I'm still a, I'm very young soul. So I would be classed, uh, Ayahuasca would be my toddler years and uh, psilocybin has come as an uh, as a as a growth from that and this is like me being given my very first basic mobile phone and i'm expected to behave with responsibility i'm expected to demonstrate to the parents that i can be trusted with this uh, <laughs> with this technology <laughs> <laughs> that's such a cool way to put it i never <laughs> this is what they showed that's me. crazy <laughs> yeah that's wild that ayahuasca was your introduction <laughs> yeah in my introduction to because really the fundamentals of shamanism uh they've been lost um they're being diluted unfortunately a lot of people are culturally appropriating that those experiences uh you know you have a lot of people now uh, i think that the word in the west is is being really diluted uh, you, you you see people who are saying you can come and do a two-day uh, practitioners course you can do your uh, learn shamanic journey and become a shamanic uh, practitioner uh, you know you go to people who go and have this experience in the jungle they come back and they say that they're a shaman uh, and and it's fascinating but I, I was shown that what makes a shaman is uh, is is different to what we believe uh, it, it to be so yeah I think for me um, it's 
interesting like time in humanity so i feel that i'm navigating like these this stuff so although i have this strong pull to it and i can't seem to get away from it because life just keeps pulling me back to those types of things now i am grateful for that i'm not trying to reject it i'm not trying to push away from it but what i would say is it's it's kind of tough for me to go on that shamanic journey myself and then come home and and say that without people assuming that i'm oh yeah you 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 think that you're one of these one of you know you're doing this you're appropriating that culture so what i was shown was that ayahuasca and amazonian shamanism and uh, knowledge of master plants because ayahuasca is one plant in a family of extremely powerful medicinal plants so a huge proportion of western medicine is derived from plants found in the amazon basin uh, and so i've i've had the opportunity to work with multiple master plants so it isn't just ayahuasca i don't just go to the amazon and drink that that sacred plant um i've been able to learn many of the master plants and how they affect the body not all they're not all psychedelic some of them are medicinal and healing in other ways what i've been shown by the mushrooms is that this whole system exists for the mushrooms as well so we wanted you to learn the basics of shamanism with the amazonian people but ultimately you are a western man and you are from an area of the world where there is an opportunity for you to learn and develop that knowledge but there's no teachers there's no true shaman teachers in the west Um, and if there is they aren't uh, ready f- for me to work with them in that sort of educational way so what i've been shown is that there are lots of healing um, medicinal mushrooms as well but unfortunately capitalism has diluted the way those mushrooms are being presented there are a lot of people that are that there is multiple different life uh, stages of a mushroom so you have the spore then it has to be inoculated into grain typically then the, it will consume the grain then you transport that mycelium uh, once it's finished extracting the nutrients from the grain you transport that over to a substrate and then the substrate will uh, colonize again and then you'll get the mushroom which are referred to as the fruiting body now unfortunately what's happening is a lot of companies are producing medicinal mushrooms but they are taking the mycelium that is uh, in the grain state and blending it all up into a powder. And there is no fruiting body mushroom within that. There is no mushroom as you understand it. So they'll say to you, here's some powdered mushrooms that are good for your health, uh, but they, they contain extremely low amounts of the medicinal and beneficial um, compounds. So this is well. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it, it, we, who would know this? Um, you know, this is yeah. this is something that is not, I believe, to be common knowledge. Uh, I don't think that many people understand that. But I'm being shown. That it, it all comes down to money because you can grow, uh, a, 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 say, a block of mycelium in perhaps a month, five weeks, six weeks, but in some cases it could take you three and a half to four months 
to fully harvest the fruit embodies the classic mushrooms that we think are mushrooms. So if you just keep producing blocks of mycelium every month, you've got a, another product that you can sell. So obviously you can uh, reduce your, your, your times of growing and it's, it's not cool. Yeah, that's, that sounds like garbage, honestly, like yeah. the fruiting body is the most important part, mm. you know, like that's where it has everything. You're just going to give me the, yeah. like the roots of it. Like, no. Yeah. But this is what happened over in Amsterdam. So they, you used to be able to eat um, a, a classic magic mushroom, but they changed the law some years back to say that the, uh, the, the psilocybin available to the public shouldn't be of a, a, a certain over a certain percentage so they didn't want mm -hmm. people having mushrooms that were too strong so they reduced the amount of psilocybin that was legal uh, and so what this resulted in is what they called the magic truffle industry so that sounds amazing that's a great branding exercise eat a magic truffle it sounds incredible but a magic truffle is effectively mycelium that hasn't produced fruit in bodies and so when people worked out that this was able to be done, that you could pass off mycelium if you give it a good enough name. So they're saying now you can eat powdered medicinal mushroom. Uh, and if you read the small print on the back, though, some people will go, oh, this is this might contain some grain. This might contain uh, fruit in body. Some people say that this contains potentially fruit in bodies and mycelium so they try to cover themselves but it's it's a lot of vagueness because what's happening is that there is very little if any fruit in bodies in these substances uh, and so people are eating these medicinal mushrooms and this is what i think is the travesty in my opinion if you're opening yourself up to alternative forms of medicine or healing or complementary therapy and you've never had that experience before and then you consume this substance and it does nothing for you, then you'll go, oh, I knew all along, every, all the rumors were true, this isn't gonna get me anywhere. But actually what's happened is you haven't had that authentic experience because somebody's trying to take your money so they've passed something off. So I was shown that there's an opportunity for people like myself to begin to spread that knowledge and to uh, to work with the plant. So I have um, a good palate uh, of being able to taste. So I, I wanted to work with medicinal mushrooms and how I worked out something was wrong was because I bought some from a, a leading British vendor and I, work, I, I consumed them and I was like, this tastes like wheat. What's wrong here? This is not right. This is so, I could taste the mushroom um, sort of smell, the fragrance, the taste was so small. And I was like, this just tastes like wheat to me. And then I did my research and I was like, it's because the grain is a wheat grain. You know, the, the grains mm. that people use to colonize the mycel uh, for col mycelium colonization, uh, you know, it has, yeah, it has those, that taste to it. Yes, it's not good. That's such a shame. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, for real. But I, I did want to ask you about the other master plants you've worked with, like just the names, if you could name a few, and like what they do a little bit. Yeah, so one I'm... Or what they have the potential for. Yeah, so one I'm working with at the moment is called Una de Gatto. Uh, in the West, we would call that Cat's Claw. Uh, so I use that 
for it's got an anti-inflammatory uh, effect to it, antiviral effect to it, uh, and so this can help people who maybe are uh, feeling some type of arthritis. Obviously, there's a lot of viral illnesses spreading around the world right now, so um, Unidigato can help in the battle with that. Um, yeah, the list is um, the list is quite vast, so they've got a lot of. Uh, a lot of Spanish names, um, but for me, I work with. Uh, so some of them are for like to do with uh, like people who are having um, various cancerous conditions. Can work with some mast plants. Uh, so people who are in uh, experiencing say infections of the blood or the uh, urinary system, for example, can work with different plants as well. Uh, so a, a true sort of shaman's diet, they call it uh, a, a dieta, uh, you can go into what they call an isolation diet and you can fast and only work with those plants. So you can take that medicine uh, maybe once a day at a, certain, at a certain time and you could be away from society in that process. Uh, and then you can connect with the feeling and the, uh, the, the energy of, of the plant. So um, really, I would say for, for anyone who's interested in, in that type of uh, yeah, experience, you can go online. And if you just write like master plant listing, uh, it's also preferential because each shaman, some shamans might say there's 27 plants. Some might say there's 36 you know, so some people will have slightly different knowledge. Uh, so what's happened with, with me is that there's been various different stages over the years that I've been called to work with different master plants. So I've worked with a lot of them directly, but I haven't dieted with all of them uh, because there's a lot that I don't need to, or haven't needed to work with. Um, but really for me, this is a, a personal experience. There are some plants from the Amazon that I would recommend to other people. Um, but I feel that my journey is, is guiding me more to, to learn that type of, uh, the principles of that type of knowledge with mushrooms. So I would be much more at home with recommending medicinal mushrooms to people as opposed to master plants. I think a lot of I, I think a lot of master plants need to be done under the supervision of shamans, uh, and so I have that for me. I have a responsibility. I think to only recommend things that you could work with independently, and a lot of medicinal mushrooms. If you're giving somebody the the right quality, uh, they can have a, a perfectly productive experience by themselves. I remember we were talking about. I think you said this how the how the mushrooms will grow and how they will the effects of them you know matters on the energy of the grower mm -hmm. right and i thought that was very cool that you said because i've had you know the same strain at you know different people who've grown it mm -hmm. and i've had very different experiences yeah. yes yeah so this results back uh, this revolves back to uh, what we were saying about how the mushrooms can take on the energy of the environment so they we understand scientifically they can take on this those like the water the temperature those things but there is the energy side of it and so what i've been shown is that with a shaman's a true shaman's mushroom will grow within the vicinity of a shaman and they will absorb the energy of the shaman as it's developing and that is a totally different type of mushroom <laughs> because you know there is some interesting if you go on reddit for example there is some 
uh, some some groups of, of people that will talk about mushrooms and it's fascinating because when you know what to look for people do seem to talk about things uh, and I don't think they understand what they're saying so so people will talk about the difficulties of growing mushrooms and then some people said oh, there's a funny thing I've observed that my mushrooms won't really grow until I've resolved my personal issues and so what they don't understand is what they're doing is they're bringing around heavy energy into the house. And so that's not favorable for the, the mycelium of the house, the lab, wherever it is that they're growing the mushrooms. And so you can see people are, are, are putting the dots together. But because there is this lack of, of mushroom shamanism and science or scientific thought is the dominant process, people are like, oh, you know, maybe you need to adjust the airflow. You need to adjust the temperature of the environment. And But really, no, you've adjusted your energy and then the mushrooms have done their thing. So it's like, mm-hmm. this is what you talk about. You've had the same type of mushroom, which is genetically identical, but you're having a different experience. And so some people would go, oh, that's because um, of your set and the setting, like how you're feeling in yourself. But this might be true but i think that what i've been shown is that we are just not having any discussion anywhere about the energy of the grower affecting the 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 fruiting body of the mushroom Mm -hmm. energy is everything right of course yeah it's what this whole whole universe is is created there was energy before there was material you know the, mm-hmm. the the theory of of, of uh, the Big Bang and, and talk about the the early uh, instances of this universe and so there was this perfect uh, uniform pure energy and then the the physical atoms come into existence so we understand mm-hmm. this in our daily life as thought precedes things you have to think about something before you do it and um, but the same thing follows with with the process of mushrooms so you have to think that you want to bring these mushrooms into existence before it happens. You don't just wake up one day and, you know, oh, I've got, I've got some, some psilocybin mushrooms. It, there's this whole thought process behind it. So the energy of thought precedes the creation of the mushroom. Yes. So do you think that putting yourself in a psychedelic state can, like, take you into a different dimension? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there, there's lots of studies that are happening right now um, around the world. So it's interesting that science is beginning to explore this concept. So I was invited earlier uh, this year to participate in a research study with Johns Hopkins University, and they were uh, investigating the spiritual aspects of psilocybin usage. There's been a number of books written by uh people that you know are doctors that talk about the interactions uh, that people are having on uh, dmt so people are meeting what it's commonly known in in the psychedelic world as the machine elves uh, and so lots of people are meeting uh, entities that have that similar type of connection uh, but i've found that what happens is the plants or the the mushrooms that you use it seems to me like there's a, co- a collection of energies that are associated with particular plants. So we know that with Ayurveda, people will commonly uh, talk about meeting Mother Aya. Uh, there are some other entities that you can connect with. We talk about people who um, smoke DMT uh, going to 
a particular place and having this interaction with the machine helps. But psilocybin, uh, for me, it allows you to have interaction with multiple different types of mystical entities. So there is a, a, a research study that was published, uh, I think it was maybe two years ago now, uh, where they were investigating uh, DMT and these people were having these common connections. So that they, they're calling them uh, the psychedelic mystical teacher entities. Uh, yeah, which I think is a beautiful name. What a what a, way yeah. to, what a way to describe those those beings uh, and so yeah but i found for for me uh, that they they don't just want to engage with everyone and so there's a lot of people who will have a connection with them and maybe they might only meet those entities once or twice they might work with psychedelics lots of times um, but what i've found is that when you connect with them when they engage with you when they give you information if you bring that back and integrate it and if you begin to live the life the way that they hope that you will then you will get more connections with them uh, and it's like once they know what you look like they know when you're going into that realm maybe scientific minds might say that this is all some projection within the mind uh, this is this is the world that we live in there's conflicting viewpoints isn't there Right. So we just have to like compile all this knowledge we get from our experiences and hope we can like figure something out. At least that's what I'm trying to do. Interviewing, yeah. you know, all these amazing people like you, seeing what, you know, similarities, you know, I can find. Yeah. But I remember talking about the entity I encountered on my breakthrough on psilocybin, mm -hmm. but how like it looked like it had a mushroom head mm -hmm. and regular body. And I remember you explaining what the mushroom head might symbolize. Yeah, right? yeah, I think it can uh, it can symbolize a, a number of things, but really I, I think that you're being shown there at the core of it, or oh, it could have multiple interpretations. But for me, I think it's introducing you in this uh, absolutely undeniable way that, that there is a consciousness that is separate to humanity. You are being shown a conscious entity that looks nothing like any type of organic life that you understand, and it's able to project these ideas in, into your into your awareness. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that this would uh, perhaps at that time as well. You were kind of seeking some comfort. Uh, sometimes we go on, on our journey of, of development, we question, are we alone in this universe? Is it just us? Is it, you know, is there any form of, of other intelligent life? We did talk as well, didn't we, uh, the, about the parallels between the UFOs and the mushrooms? Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah. I think that if you you turn a mushroom upside down, it's very similar to the classical appearance of a UFO. Yes. Uh, and then if you, you know, maybe there's little aliens that exist inside the UFO and inside the mushroom as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've read a lot of things <laughs> about that. And I even saw, you know, what I would say are extraterrestrials on my breakthrough trip. So mm -hmm. that was very interesting. And they were actually showing me like where the world is going like pollution and everything and i was not thinking about aliens i was not thinking about the future of this world all i was you know on my trip for was to find out more about myself and i thought it was very interesting how this mushroom entity 
not only walked me through my entire life and what I'm supposed to do here and said, you know, was very comforting, gave me a lot of validation about what I'm doing. But it was like, you need to stop like uh, giving into your human tendencies and work more for what you're here to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yo, that that's yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Uh, yeah, they don't always deliver us comfortable information, do they? <laughs> it's just like work harder. <laughs> like, OK, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, we can all fall into traps, can't we, where we think that maybe we don't have enough time and we can look at life and think that it's a little bit more challenging than it is. Uh, and I think sometimes the psychedelics, the, particularly the teacher entities, that they have a very uh, almost playful way of, of really shaking things up and showing you, listen, you can you can tell yourself whatever you want, but when you're working with us, we're going to tell you the truth. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because... <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty of that. Yeah, it was showing me so many images, like helping me heal myself, Go, you know, going through whatever I was going through leading mm. up to that one trip. So it was just a marvelous experience, even though it was very terrifying because that was the first time I broke through. It was also the most beautiful experience mm -hmm. I ever had, and I had to sit there and be like did that really just happen? Like after I got spat back out into reality, yeah. it's wild. And I wrote it all down to help me remember. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to ask you like, yeah, if you have any connections with entities in, you know, this, the psilocybin dimension yeah. or whatever it is. Oh, well, without doubt. I, um, I can't, I, I don't think that I've had a single psychedelic ceremony of any type at any time in my life where I have not encountered entities. Uh, and so they, they're just, they're, there's just an abundance of them. Um, I think that there's different, they, they have different intentions. They have different knowledge that they're able to teach us. Um, I, yeah, I think it's fascinating. The entities that I've connected with over the years have completely like, changed my whole way that I interact with myself in this world uh, they taught me to to look for life and knowledge in places that were previously hidden to me uh, it's um uh, yeah I could I could talk to you about this all night <laughs> you know I would definitely listen to all of it <laughs> so is, <laughs> yeah. is there like a way a lot of them look like or is there some characteristic that they all share yeah there are there are um i wouldn't say that they um well yeah it's uh, where would we begin so i found with the ayahuasca entities they they can present themselves in a very gigantic um like proportions to me so i've had experiences of feeling like so obviously i'm when i'm connecting in those places i've left my body behind so what I found is that the attachment to the physical form is very, uh, very disruptive to the psychedelic experience. So if I associate with my body and believe that I am me and this is all what I am, uh, then it's like I'm I'm carrying baggage into those realms. And so I, uh, I'm at peace with the concept of me as an energetic being and how I appear very different to this form. Uh, and so I think that that acceptance is, allows me to 
maybe have different interactions because I don't need to hold this weight of a physical form uh, in those those places I don't need to organize and project that image of myself um, I'm I, I'm more free to operate within those spaces so I felt that the very first time uh, the the IRS experience the very first IRS experience I had so one of those early um, thoughts and realizations that I had after all of the physical side had subsided when my consciousness began to separate from my um, myself my first thought was, oh, you're dying again. Uh, and it, it just was so natural to me to go, oh, you're dying again. Um, and they tried to show me uh, like the some of the experiences that I'd had with this place. Uh, and I got to experience, um, it sounds absolutely crazy, but they showed me that one of my early lives on earth was before this form of humanity existed and I was a crocodile uh, and they showed me that the crocodiles are millions of years old and they showed me that what they were trying to do was see if uh, consciousness could be projected at a higher rate into this place so consciousness your brain is has the ability to transmit it on quite a high degree uh, and so what happened is I was shown that crocodiles had evolved this brain that was able to hold consciousness. But the issue that they had was their their brain could hold a certain version of consciousness. But when I was a young crocodile, I had fear. Uh, I, I was swimming around in some river somewhere and I felt fearful of my environment. But then I flicked to a later stage in in that experience and I found that I grew in my strength and I didn't know this until afterwards, but crocodiles, they move from their lower back. So I could feel I had all this strength in my lower back. And as I got older as a crocodile, I realized that I had no uh, natural predators. There was no one that could hurt me. I I was the king like the, of, of that space. Like I didn't have any fear. And then I actually started um, becoming destructive in my environment because there was no consequence to any of my actions so I could I could kill fish I could kill small animals I could do whatever I wanted there was no consequence to that I didn't need to protect myself I didn't need to hide away from other predators so what I was shown was that that lifetime was not um, conducive to deep learning because I didn't have this fear fear actually allows us to learn certain lessons so I was shown that as uh, consciousness in, in, in humans, although we have mastered uh, our environment to quite a high degree with, within this sphere of Earth, actually, you know, we are still vulnerable. Like, we don't have natural predators, but if you stepped into the wrong river, a crocodile could quite easily destroy you. A polar bear, a black bear, brown bear, wolves tigers leopards whatever there's all of these animals that could do us a lot of harm and so crocodiles at that time didn't have that and so this the, 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 they were showing me all sorts of um it, it, to me now even after all of these years i still feel like what are you saying uh, yeah <laughs> you know you sit here and say all of this stuff it's like what are you saying um but this is this is how i perceived it so whether this was a metaphor for another lesson uh because i don't i don't carry fear 
into this lifetime uh, in the way that I've worked with other people. Some people are very fearful. Uh, and so maybe I was being shown metaphorically like that fear can drive us to learn and maybe that I should not be trying to push my fear away and understand the purpose of fear. So really what this journey did was help me to understand that really attaching to this physical form as a human is something that can hold me back in the psychedelic realms. And so once I'd had this realization, I feel like I was able to travel to different places quite because I wasn't uh, sort of bound by this weight of, of being a human. And so I found Ayahuasca is that uh, a lot of the entities they're so loving they say our oh, mother Aya is is one you know pure love uh, but they would like put me in their hands and i would feel that i'm uh, like big but they would they were like gigantic uh, and so i've interacted with other um, entities that weren't quite as big as that and so when i i would talk to the shaman about it after the experience and he'd say yeah i saw these entities with you these are what we would cl uh, class as the ancient shamans they've come to to show themselves to you and they you know they know how to project themselves so that you will pay attention um yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, I found that depending on what you're working with, depending on where you go in those realms, there are different. It's, it's, it's really hard to describe. I feel like it's like when you see uh, like washing up soap, the bubbles, like the foam. Um, I feel like our universe, we're existing in this material bubble, but it's it's multiple bubbles that are all sort of, you know, connected. Uh, but each one of those bubbles seems to have a different set of principles, different set of rules, different energy, different entities that might be associated with it. And so when we work with psychedelics, it's like we're able to project ourselves into these different energetic realms. Yes. I'm actually reading a book about astral voyaging and it's talking all about this, how um, these different dimensions are just like they just vibrate at different frequencies. It's not like they're like piled on top of each other. It's not like one dimension is higher than the other. They're just like all existing yeah. at the same time. And I was like, wow. Mm -hmm. And turns out, I guess the physical plane, which is where we're all at, is the lowest one, like out of all the other ones they've <laughs> figured out. Um, mm. I, yeah. It's possibly, yeah, it's possibly, I, I try not to look at it as in a, in a hierarchical uh, like fashion. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure where our realm would be within, within the bubbles. Um, but I do understand that this realm is quite a prize uh, for other entities. And so what we mean by this is that you live your life as an individual, okay? So you've got your hopes, you've got your dreams, you've got your experience, you've got your job, you've got your uh, the career that you want, the home that you want. You've got all these things that you would like to do. Perhaps you want to uh, get married, perhaps you want to have children, perhaps you want to grow a family. That's your life as an individual. But your life is also part of a collective consciousness of humanity. And if we look at what humanity is, humanity, to, to my understanding, is a collection of ideas. Society is a collection of ideas that we've agreed upon. Uh, and so we're talking now through this digital medium. But we didn't create this. This was someone else's idea. So we, as humans, you can live your life, but you can be enriched and benefit from the ideas of others. And so this is the thing. You can't tell me all of the people involved with the creation of the technology that we're using and, and utilizing right now. And so what this means is that there's like this angle 
that other knowledge can come in and begin to shape humanity because you can leave an idea that can flow down that that sort of stream of time can help to shape that collective consciousness of, of humanity and how many of us know where it comes from how many of us know who who created and harnessed the first uh, you know fires and the 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 circular wheel we all benefit from these ideas somebody had that idea and so what i've been shown is that the other realms are fully aware of this and they know that our our realm can be subtly influenced with ideas uh, and so this is why it's such a prize you know and this is we might not realize it we can i think that if we look at this realm and say earth is a lower vibration it can create a detachment where you're like oh there's all this pollution there's all this damage there's all this hate there's all this war there's all of these terrible things that are going on and and then we read literature where someone says that earth is the lowest of all the realms but that's not my experience earth is a is a prize the fact that we're having this conscious existence is our gift we've done something to deserve this and earn it but people are not um in uh, connection with what this earth really represents so for me it's tough because our consciousness has the ability in its raw form to create through the concept of thought and so when we are not in this body we can spontaneously create with thought so what happens is when you're born into a into a material universe you don't have that freedom to create in the same way that you did as pure energy and so this can create some sort of low level resentment and frustration that life isn't unfolding as rapidly as you want it to how you want it to be but for me i found peace by understanding that this universe this material universe is akin to a mountain now i absolutely love mountains i climb them as much as i can i've learned so much from being out in that environmental um sort of tranquility and so what i began to realize is that you know the truth of what this place is to me it's the mountain i was born here the mountain already existed i didn't create the mountain i can't shape the mountain i can't like build a new one but what i can do is choose the the way that i want to ascend the mountain and so when i go uh, on my treks i might climb one mountain i've been to uh, to to snowden you know three times in the last uh, two years it's the biggest mountain in in wales but i've never climbed it the same way more than more than once uh, and so i still arrive at the summit after the climb but i've had a totally different experience each time and so this is the the thing i started to find my peace within this space when i learned that i can't create in the way that i'm used to when i'm not in the body but what i should be doing is looking at the rules of this space so integrating myself with nature finding the answers that are all there as opposed to trying to bend it to my will because i can't bend this material world to what i want it to be but i also need to understand that everything i want and everything i hope to experience is already here yes <laughs> yes oh this this conversation gets me really excited because uh, I also agree, like, even though they say it's like, you know, a lower vibrational state, like this is the place where you can make things happen. Like, you know, it's the physical plane, like 
I read how, you know, sometimes we're sent here to like go through our karmic cycle or something and like learn things mm -hmm. we didn't learn in our previous lifetimes. But I think mm -hmm. it is beautiful that we're here now and we're able to influence this world and what we learn from, you know, other places or I don't know. I'm very passionate about this and I feel like I'm here, you know, to help spread this knowledge that I get from my guests and everything I pull because I think the more we expand our consciousness, the better our lives will become together here. I feel like the reason we can struggle here is because of our lower level of consciousness in a way. Yeah. I think that we're experiencing a lower level of consciousness compared to what we experience when we're not in this physical form. Um, and I think that we can find some fatigue and some discomfort with this idea that we can't create abundance in the most extreme ways uh we do it's like we can shape our experience here i can't change the amount of material that's in this universe so energy cannot be created nor destroyed it can only move from one form to another this is the the, the laws of uh, thermodynamics and so what this means is that there is the same amount of material on energy in existence as from those early moments of the universe so the problem is that i i observe is that you come from a place where you're able to create in a different way so you're not necessarily able to create because it's already here all the energy is already here you can't add to the energy but you can shape your experience and find what pleases you but we get fixated on the discomfort of what displeases us and we sometimes want people to validate our own ideas so we try to find comfort in numbers people online want to grow the amount of followers they have they try to build up communities around them because in some way this cycles back to the idea that they are trying to validate their own ideas but i've found that the the true excitement of this place is to understand that we are all experiments of uh, how we can bring maybe systems of positivity and good because good and bad are human creations and so we have this ability that is very unique uh, within uh, the animal kingdom where we can foresee negativity or something bad that might happen before it happens. So we can interact with time in a different way to animals and we can anticipate a version of the future that might be enjoyable and we can try to create systems of good that would please us. Now, a system of good is is energy. It's not, um, it's, it's, it's shaping the way you perceive the energy as opposed to creating some form of additional energy within this space. So I think that what happens is that we come from a place where we can actually create energy and shape it differently because we are pure conscious energy. And then we come into this material space, we occupy this body. And the frustration is that we are almost it's like we've got our hands tied behind our back. But the, the thing is, it's like, you know, you see artists that are able to create wonderful masterpieces out of seemingly uh, pointless objects. You know, it's the art is, is, in the the what you create the i uh how you see this universe so you can add beauty to this place you can add good to this place but you don't have to interact with it in in the same way that you do when you're not in in this physical body yes it's all perspective that's that's a big thing that mm. changed my life once i realized 
I can change my perspective always. And my mom actually like put that into my brain too. She's like, you can choose to either focus on the good things that happen in the situation or the bad. And you can just hold on to the mm -hmm. good stuff because your perspective is all that matters. I was like, yeah, yes, that is so true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And you also wrote a book. I saw the theory of you, a guide to awakening mm -hmm. personal spiritual enlightenment. Can you give us a snippet mm -hmm. of what that's about? Yeah, that's um, that was kind of like a, a rough outline of my journey to date and some of the epiphanies that I had uh, and some of the issues that I was observing in the world through my journey to that point. Uh, and so I look at this, you know, there's a lot of problems that we're facing in human society at the moment. There's a lot of discontent. There's a lot of uh, mental health issues, a lot of people that are choosing to end their time prematurely here. Uh, and so we see things like antidepressant usage is at insane heights. Uh, and and so you kind of look and, and think, right, something's not really working within this world. There's so many people that are struggling and suffering and enduring uh, pain uh, and so uh, you know I didn't always want to to be here I I haven't always enjoyed my time here I haven't always uh, felt at, at one and, and at peace with my surroundings and my environment uh, and so I just yeah I, I felt called to kind of share some of that uh, and, and and some of what I've discovered from working with different cultures and different states of consciousness different states of meditation so it's yeah there's a few bits and pieces in there but um i've i, I wrote a version a few years back and then i've written a second edition uh because you know so many people had questions about some of the points i was making um but i think it's probably for me that that particular book would be a work in progress so i feel at some point i'll probably update it again um but i think yeah, sometimes people make impressions about me that aren't necessarily true. I think we all look at people at face value. Uh, you know, I, I had to overcome some pretty tough conditions when I was young. Uh, and so I think that some of the things I've done in my life, uh, people built up this conception that uh, it was handed to me. You know, um, I was I was given an easy start or and and so I thought, well, okay, uh, writing a book is an interesting way to correct some of these misconceptions. Definitely. That's really cool. And so I also read you're in the early stages of creating your own charity. Can you explain what that's for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, that, again, that's an extension of my ideas uh, around mental health so i look at what's going on in in the world um you know i've i've lost a a family member a few years back through suicide um and i felt quite powerless because i could see what was on the horizon but i was powerless to do anything about it uh it's been tough to live in the aftermath of that experience as well um and yeah i i think that a lot of people are at a crisis point within their world uh i think that people have this sort of pressure that they need to be something they need to do something they need to be somewhere they need to be somebody they need to achieve some some type of outcome within their life uh, and i think that we've forgotten a lot of of who we are uh, i think that we have become disconnected with the, the way uh, the systems that operate us work uh, i think that 
yeah, my I, I I have been working with a lot of people directly over the last sort of three years or so, uh, and I have managed to help uh, prevent some people from taking their own lives, which I'm I feel really uh, humbled that I've been able to have that impact and that experience. Uh, but I just yeah, I wanted to sort of treat that a little bit more seriously. So what I'm doing is that I found that connecting with the outdoors in a particular way can be a deeply healing experience. Uh, so I find that the way that society is set up is that, uh, for me, I believe that the body needs movement and the mind needs stillness, but the modern world is encouraging uh, the reverse. So overactive minds that are continuously stimulated uh, and sort of bodies that you know we sort of are, are, are quite happy to sit around and you know overeat and not do enough exercise and so i found that if you get people out into the natural world in a certain way uh, you can help to reset some of those things that are going on within the mind and the body and then once you've done that then you can begin to have certain discussions with people but really I, I mean I use the mountains as as a healing uh, process for people and so what I've found is that a lot of tasks that you're taught to to undertake there's never really any end for so when you get onto the career ladder you're always looking to that next that next rung, that next stage. Uh, and so life, Western life particularly, is is set up to uh, continuously expand. You've got to find new versions of happiness in new experiences and new achievements. Uh, and so what I've found is that a, a lot of people feel powerless because they're not able to get any closer to what it is that they think that they want. So what happens is when you take someone to a mountain, you can be at the bottom of it in the morning and you can look up at the top and it seems so far away. And then you can get them up to the top and they've done that themselves. And then they feel amazing and they see these beautiful views and then they come back down and then you, you know, they've achieved something momentous and they did it in a day. You know, this, this, pro, this, this task that they, uh, they've produced this result that maybe hasn't been anywhere else in their life for a very long time. Uh, and so what I've been doing is working towards a mountain leader qualification. So I've joined the British Mountaineering Council in, uh, in the UK. I've had to, uh, well, I've got to uh, complete 40 mountain climbs. Um, I've, I'm just up to number 23 last, last week. Wow. I've done 23 so far, uh, in the last, uh, just, uh, just over a year, I've managed to do 23. Uh, I've done some long distance hikes as well. So not everybody's cut out for, uh, mountain climbing, but I found that, so I, I've walked, um, from Inverness to Fort William in, in Scotland. That's like a hundred mile trek along a thing called the Great Glenway. So I've done that twice in both directions. I've walked the West Highland Way, which is another hundred mile trek. That's from uh, Glasgow up to Fort William. And so these are, again, these are experiences where you can, you can enjoy them and you know that there's something, you've done something substantial. You've actually achieved something as opposed to being in this, uh, this hamster wheel that never stops. Uh, and so my charitable work is all based around people beginning to reconnect with themselves and the natural environment in a way that unfortunately is not commonplace uh, in this part of the world. 
Wow, that's so beautiful. Like the reason behind all of this and the fact that you've climbed so many mountains, that's amazing. Uh, that's that's yeah. a lot. And, you know, I never really thought about yeah, that, I, like how much climbing a mountain can change someone's like mental stakes. You're like, oh, I can actually do that. And it's not in like the future. It's right now. And I think it might be hard yeah. for people to see like where the future is going in that situation well of course yeah you know the outdoors can it can help you to reconnect with the way that your body was designed mm -hmm. so if you put i mean i had uh, a chap that i'd had this experience with um what was it may last year and he had been in and out of uh, mental hospitals so secure units uh, he'd been assessed by the the health service he was on loads of different medication and he was suicidal and he was self-harming and he was having a terrible time and this had been going on for around seven years of his life uh, so this guy was uh, was a friend of mine and um he he contacted me when i was doing a hike and he said i, I feel like i can't take it anymore i don't know what to do uh, i feel like i'm gonna end things uh, and i was like well, what are you doing right now and he's like oh, nothing and i was like okay I'm going to pay for your train tickets, get yourself to London and there's an overnight train and I'll meet you in Fort William tomorrow and we'll climb Ben Nevis together the next day. And he's like, what are you on about? And I was like, listen, you don't want to be here and you're, you're a big, strong guy and you're not working and you're having all of these, these battles. It's like, what have you got to lose? Because I haven't, uh, you, you, you can't worry about money. I know that you're not working at the moment. So don't worry about this. We'll just, we'll take care of it. So we got him there and he, this, this is what now a year and a half ago, I just spoke to him last week. He's off of all medication. He's got a new relationship. He's moved house. Uh, he's got a job that he's stable in. He's the happiest he said he's been in his adult life. And we initiated, we facilitated that change because we showed him what he was capable of. We got him to reconnect with his body. So when I met him up there, his head was all over the place. He was going uh, through all of these different mental battles. I didn't even really need to say too much to him. I was like, come on, let's just get onto the mountain. And we, we helped him to get up there. And it was a battle. It was still uh, like early spring. So there was, a, you know, we, we had a snowstorm at the top. It was like, it was crazy. It was one of the uh, most difficult climbs I've had to do. But the point is that we got up there and he exhausted his body so he'd made the body work how it's supposed to and that fatigue caused the mind to calm down and then on the way down he was in a in a really sort of basic meditative state he was really relaxed he was really aware of the environment he kept stopping to take in the views and he just, it completely just changed the way that he was feeling about himself. And then we had a big discussion. We drove home together. I was in the car in for 10 hours. And so we went through all of the things that he felt were an obstacle in his life. And, and we started to unpick all of it. But he was ready to do that work because he had exhausted the body and cleared the mind. And so I realized at that point, I was like, I need to do this more. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is this is work that i that i feel drawn to doing um yeah so I've, that's what i've been working towards and hopefully um it, it's it's a work in progress but i'm hoping towards maybe next late next summer this time next year that i'll be in that position to be able to start 
doing that on a, on a bigger scale. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I get a lot of people to climb those mountains. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Please tell everyone like where they can find your book, your social medias, anything you got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my website, jeremiahscott.co.uk. There's my links to my socials on there. Uh, I think you can listen to my podcast on the homepage. There's like an option to sign up for an email news list. I've I've been sending a little letter out once a week. Um, You can find my book on there. I think if it's in a few shops in the UK, but if you're uh, not in the UK, probably best to maybe look on Amazon or look on my website so you can you can find details of everything there. So really the website, that's that's the platform. You can find everything from there. Awesome. And I'll list that in the description below for you guys to check it out. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. This was amazing. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.